L.A. traffic. Enough said, right? <laughs> I mean, traffic here is so bad that SNL made a whole skit called The Californians, which makes fun of the fact that Angelinos add the in front of every freeway and discuss all the possible ways to get from point A to point B. I'm no stranger to bad traffic. Looking at the list of the top 10 cities for worst traffic in the United States, it turns out that I have lived in three of them. Number six, LA. Number seven, the Bay Area. And number eight, the DC area. One of the things I have learned during my time in these bad traffic cities is the way traffic brings out the worst in human beings, myself included. Unkind drivers have the power to negatively impact our morning, our afternoons, even longer periods of time. Our whole world can be a cruel place, filled with people that treat us like objects on the road instead of people. Traffic prevents us from going as fast as we would like, often leaving us feeling angry, depressed, disconnected. One of my favorite television shows to watch as a child, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, paints an alternative and kinder vision for the world. Over the course of a few episodes that aired in the mid-90s, Mr. Rogers teaches about the difference between fast and slow. Ultimately, he suggests there is value in slow, intentional acts. He exemplifies this point over the course of his show, lasting over 30 years long. I can only imagine how Mr. Rogers might approach traffic on the 405. <laughs> what would it look like to harness the power of kindness, both on the road and in the rest of our lives? I believe genuine kindness has the power to unlock the depths of Torah, our relationships with people, even the divine. When I first arrived at KI, I was fortunate enough to be graced by a nugget of wisdom from our Rabbi Emeritus, Rabbi Rubin. He teaches, never honk in the Palisades unless it is to avoid an actual accident. Our Rabbi's sage advice is actually based on the meaning of kindness as developed by our Jewish tradition. Often we perceive kindness as polite, well-mannered behavior. In fact, the modern Hebrew term for kindness, adivut, describes exactly that. The biblical term, however, chesed, the basis of our Jewish understanding of kindness, is quite different. Chesed is actually quite challenging to translate into English because it really doesn't have an equivalency in our language. 
English versions try to represent it by words such as loving kindness, mercy, steadfast love, sometimes loyalty, but the complete meaning of the word can't really be conveyed without deeper explanation. The word is used in Torah only when it is in the context of some recognized tie or connection between people. It's not used to connote kindness in general and would not be used to describe what we call random acts of kindness. The word chesed, more than any other word, reflects an attitude of both parties that are in a relationship and that they should maintain towards each other. Rabbi Sarah Pache Orlo writes, Acts of chesed are the active representation of a covenant among people, a social contract. It's not about getting a request in the mail, she says, for funds, writing a check, bringing in a can of soup at your JCC or here at KI. It's not even about showing up once a year at a homeless shelter or a soup kitchen or even writing letters to Congress to affect our social policies. Those are important acts, she says, but they fail to engage people in relationships of understanding. It's when we become engaged with real people in real communities where we can feel what is happening on the other end of our giving, whether of time or of resources, that we realize the covenantal aspect of chesed. We should all avoid honking in the Palisades. Not to be nice, but because we want to honor and deepen our covenantal relationship with each other. Perhaps one of the most well-known verses of Torah to exemplify the covenantal notion of chesed is found in Leviticus chapter 19. Be'ahavta l'reacha kamocha. We usually translate this verse as love your neighbor as yourself. You may recognize the first word, actually, as we so beautifully heard chanted from children right here in our community. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha. You shall love Adonai your God. Adults and children alike have asked the question, how can love be commanded? One cannot be forced to love anyone, especially the divine. Well, Jacob Milgram concurs, a famous biblical commentary. In it, he writes the following in his Leviticus commentary. The verb love signifies not only an emotion or attitude, but an act, a deed. This is especially true in the book of Deuteronomy, which speaks of covenantal love. The alien is loved, he says, by providing him with food and shelter. God is loved by observing or doing God's commandments. God in turn loves Israel 
by subduing Israel's enemies. A story in the Talmud further illustrates just how central this notion of is to what we understand as kindness in the Torah. There was an incident once involving a non-Jew who came before our sage Shammai and said to him, convert me on the condition that you teach me the entire Torah while I am standing on one foot. Shammai pushes him away with a builder's cubit in his hand. The same non-Jew following this comes before another sage, Hillel. Hillel converts him and says to him, that which is hateful to you, do not do to another. That is the entire Torah. The rest is interpretation of this verse. Now go and study. There's a lot to unpack in this story. Hillel's one-sentence summary of what Torah encompasses and teaches is indeed a reframing of love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else, he says, is perusha, interpretation. I agree. Most every Torah portion can be understood to have something to do with kindness, i.e. the way we relate to ourselves, to others, and the divine. In writing this sermon, I realized the very first Torah portion where God puts clothes on Adam and Eve, and the final one in Deuteronomy where God buries Moses. Each of these involve an act of kindness. Even in our Torah portion that we read today, the binding of Isaac, it says, the second verse, take your son, your favored one, asher ahavta, the one you love. There's that word again, ahavta, which we've already seen means more than emotional love, but also deeds of kindness. Now, to be kind starts with oneself. In his book called The Power of Kindness, Piero Ferrucci concludes by saying, there's no choice between being kind to others and being kind to ourselves. It's the same thing. He boils kindness down in his book to 19 qualities and how they interact with one another. Few of these qualities include warmth, trust, patience, loyalty, mindfulness, generosity, and gratitude. As I read each chapter, I realized that each of these qualities is as much about the way we treat others as they are about the way that we treat ourselves. One of the qualities that seems most pertinent to our relational understanding of kindness is patience. Ferrucci writes, patience is the skill of understanding and respecting your own rhythms and those of others. Personally, this resonates with me as an educator. In his book, The Courage to Teach, Parker Palmer writes, good teaching cannot be reduced to technique, 
Good teaching comes from the identity and integrity of the teacher themselves. In other words, if we as teachers are going to be patient with our students, we have to cultivate that trait within ourselves first. Doing so enables educators to see how each child has their own way of learning and to discern the learning rhythms then of their students. When a child does not learn in the way we hope or expect them to, we cannot push them away or ask them to speed up, change who they are. All this accomplishes is to push them away the way that Shammai did, discourage them from wanting to learn with us. A patient teacher is a kind teacher. Let's go back to that story of Hillel and Shammai. As they are both approached by the non-Jewish student who wants to learn Torah on one foot. After Shammai uses the builder's cubit to push away the student, Hillel not only figures out what the student needs, but agrees to teach him the whole Torah while standing on one foot. Peculiar as it may sound, it is Hillel's patience. That is what enables him to connect with the student. Following the incident, the conversion student says, Shammai's impatience sought to drive me from the world. Hillel's patience brought me beneath the wings of the divine. Patience is a virtue of kindness, and it creates a holy possibility. That is for us to uncover our own soul and provide the sustenance it needs. Only then can we move forward slowly, ready to do the same for someone else. So if we slow down, give ourselves the opportunity to act kindly, we are more likely to be able to truly meet and get to know each other. 20th century Jewish philosopher Martin Buber presents the notion of I-it and I-thou relationships. An I-it relationship, he explains, means one person treats another as an object or a thing. Think back to traffic in L.A. In such an interaction, the I appears as an ego focused on only the benefits of themselves. Anyone can say or do something nice to someone, but niceness doesn't enable us to enter into deep relationships. Niceness is about impressing someone, lifting up the I. Take another example, a waiter or a a waitress in a restaurant. They often will smile, ask you how you're doing. They may, and you may respond. Sometimes you might be really busy and you might not. Likely the interaction, though, does not connect to our soul most certainly not with the soul of the other. Kindness, however, this is what is synonymous with an I-thou relationship. We may act helpful, generous, 
in a context of a relationship we have with another, trying to better understand who they are, what they need. In this kind of situation, our soul can become tied up with the soul of another. Kindness is not about lifting up the eye, but rather building and strengthening the relationship between the two. When we feel our soul is connected to the soul of another, we enter more and more into the realm of kindness. Buber concludes this section saying that when the soul of the I touches the soul of the you, that is when we touch a spark of the divine. During the High Holy Days, we recite Unitana Tokef, reminding ourselves of the fragility and the shortness of human life. It begins, Unitana Tokef Kedushat Hayom. Let us announce the power, the holiness of this day. And it finishes with, Beichon Bechesed Kisecha. In kindness, your throne will be established. Jewish tradition reminds us that in the face of uncertainty, we have the power to make our time here worthwhile through the power of kindness. Now here are some tangible ways we can do so. Remember, kindness is relational. In order to set ourselves up for success, we need to seek relational rather than transactional interactions with others. In Judaism, this type of interaction stems from our notion of breed, our covenant with each other. Number two, start from within. To be kind to others, you must first be kind to yourselves. Find ways to act kindly to yourself, such as being patient with your own way of being, your own rhythm of living. Number three, Approach others slowly with actions that seek understanding, the I-thou way, not ways that use others to elevate our egos. And finally, number four, go and study. A life of Torah promotes a life of kindness. Each year, we can find a new way to interpret and apply the Torah's wisdom to our own lives. After watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood every morning for many years as a child, I truly felt we had a relationship. And it turns out I was not alone. As an adult, when I watched the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor?, I cried. Mr. Rogers worked hard to help each child who viewed his program see how they themselves are indeed connected to others. He knew that genuine kindness does not exist in a vacuum. As a minister himself, he lived and preached the Bible's imperative, love your neighbor as yourself. After all, the premise of the show was teaching kids how they can become good neighbors. Hard to believe, but this morning, on my way to KI, after first having a wardrobe malfunction, (laughs) 
which thankfully my wife was able to help with. Then I realized on my five minutes into my drive, I left my Talit at home. I return home. I get the Talit. I go on my way to KI, and I get to my freeway on-ramp. What would you what would you know? It's closed this morning. So with all of my detours, I was losing 15, even 20 minutes of time that I had hoped to spend here getting ready for my sermon. I was feeling rushed, irritable, a little angry. As I approached the intersection of Pico and Bundy, I looked up and I saw a billboard with a picture of Mr. Rogers <laughs> reading, Won't You Be My Neighbor? I instantly felt at ease. I'll leave you to contemplate his famous words. There are three ways to ultimate success in life. The first way is to be kind. The second way is to be kind. The third way is to be kind. Kenyi Hiratson, may that be our will. Shana Tovah.